Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Nothing's like a rock show, man. It's a place of solidarity. Your average American isn't seeing the heavy rock artists on the award shows or radio. They can sometimes believe that, oh, rock doesn't exist anymore in the way it used to. I don't want to be on morning talk shows having to be nice because hard rock's all accepted and, and, you know, it looks good for Kathy Lee and Hoda. Generally speaking, rock is dead. I don't listen to anybody says rock is dead. All the disenfranchised feel that they belong to something that's much bigger than themselves. I'm a whole different person when I'm at one of these concerts. You can de-stress your life and just be in the moment. That symbiotic relationship between the fan and the band, it's integral. It's a cool vibe between the bands. It's like a big family. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 332. Releasing on March 12 is Long Live Rock, a documentary that delves into the culture of the hard rock heavy metal scene with emphasis on the communion and chaos of the hard rock festival. Told with intricate detail and featuring some of the biggest hard rock and metal acts of all time from Metallica to Rob Zombie, Long Live Rock also explores the passion that drives the rock fan and the humanity behind the rock star. Joining me now on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast are two creative forces behind Long Live Rock, director and producer Jonathan McHugh and producer Gary Spivak. Gary and Jonathan, I thank you both very much for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Matt. Thank you. So, Jonathan, three and a half years in the making this um, documentary is, um, and it's also your directorial debut. What is it about this music, this community of fans that really inspired you not only to keep going at it, dedicate your time to getting this story out there, but also to get behind the lens as a director on this film as well? Uh, you know, look, I produce a number of films and I always wanted to direct something. And I started this film before, a film before this about the cosplay culture. And I was kind of in this subculture headspace. Um, and then Gary and I, Gary's an old friend of mine. We worked together for Electra with, you know, breaking bands like Metallica and, and Motley Crue back in the day. So we kind of grew up always rocking. And when I mentioned to Gary, we went to one of his festivals, I think Eminem was headlining, and I took note of the passion of the fans and very different than other festivals I would go to, whether it be Bonnaroo or Outside Lands or even Coachella to some extent. Gary's festivals were different. It just the, the hard rock aesthetic was very different. Um, so I said, Gary, what about we do something about the fandom of the festivals? And we kind of put it on the back burner. And then one day Gary calls me and goes, man, I can't tell anybody this, but we just booked Metallica for our 10th anniversary. Mm. And I said, yeah. And he goes, remember that idea you had? I was like, uh-huh. He said, well, why don't we do that? I go, well, okay, what does that mean? Like, how are we supposed to do that? And he's like, come on, man, you're a filmmaker, figure it out. So I called my cinematographer and I said, hey, you like rock, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, I go, you ever heard of Gojera? He goes, that's my favorite band. How about Metallica? I started reading lists. And so I'm like, all right, well, I need you to volunteer for the mission. I'll pay for your plane ticket and uh, Gary will take care of us on the ground there. 
Um, and Gary knew some crew members from a shoot he had done out in Columbus. And we picked up a crew and off we went to, to build a sizzle reel. And then that had so much color and interesting stuff to it. And Gary introduced me to great fans. Uh, and we put together a sizzle reel and we uh, raised money off that sizzle reel. We just kind of kept shooting. Gary, you know, the beginning of the movie talks about how Rocky's dead. And there's a quote now popularly uh, attributed to Gene Simmons of Kiss, of, of all people, speaking about how Rocky's dead, supposedly. Um, you know, you work as a promoter of hard rock festivals. You've watched hundreds of thousands screaming rock fans at any given moment just go batshit crazy over, you know, their favourite metal act. You know, when you hear something like Rocky's Dead, how much does that motivate you to take part of a project like this to make sure that you can show that that is not the case at all? Yeah, you know, I, I, I love that one of the first lines in the film, if, if there's 100,000 people in the middle of Ohio and Metallica's headlining, it's safe to say that rock is not dead. Mm. Um, it's not dead, and it's far from it. And it may not have the, the headline on USA Today or be the Grammy Award winner for Best Album of the Year um, in, in a competition with Taylor Swift and Bruno Mars. Um, but it's alive and vibrant. It's the whole ethos of rock and roll is supposed to be the other side of the tracks. Yeah. You know, th there's a reason why it's called pop music as in popular music. Rock was never meant to be that. Sure. That it had its moments at the, at the tippy top, whether it's the British invasion of the sixties or Woodstock era or grunge rock with Nirvana and, and Pearl Jam. Um, but even those bands would fight. They used to fight like mad Kurt Cobain and Eddie Vedder when they were commercialized. They hated it because that's not what rock and roll is supposed to be about. It's, again, other side of the tracks. It's, it's the guys and girls at, on the grassy knoll at lunch while the preppy kids, uh, you know, with their polos uh, up, up and their collars up, uh, eating lunch at the cool kids' table. That rock and roll is, is again, supposed to be the underdog. So... I just don't subscribe to it. I never have, and I never will. Again, it may not be the sh the you know the shiniest light um, in the room at times, but it's it's alive and vibrant. And this movie, uh, I, I feel, really proves that. Jonathan, the film shows the community of the hard rock kind of landscape, and you know it's really interesting. I've been a metalhead you know, ever since I was a, a, like a teenager and there's always been kind of like stereotype associated with uh, the music that I listen to, that we listen to. Uh, people expect a certain attitude, a certain look. And while that can be, you know, you can find some of that, it's it's a, such a diverse kind of range of people who listen to this type of music. And your film shows that you have your know, dentists and nurses and house mums and, you know, prison guards and et cetera, et cetera, or people from all types of walks of life, all races and sexes and what have you. How important was it to really show that diversity in your movie? Well, it was very important, but you really clicked on something. You reminded me of something that's important to mention, that there was a study done in Australia. And when you said the word metalheads, it struck me that I found this study, it's published, I don't know, 2019, about how this music <clears throat> can actually be therapeutic for people and for troubled youth especially um, who can – can find, you know, who some of whom were bullied for their being, you know, the outcast, if you will. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden they find their tribe. And this tribe is, is a rock tribe, you know, the, the people that are the rockers and they, they dress alike and they like the same music and they go to the same shows together. And all of a sudden the bullies who would bully them are now afraid of this new group. 
And it was really a beautiful study. And I tried to get the, uh, the uh, educators who wrote it to talk about it during the film, but they weren't able to because of school policy. So mm. um, Kevin Stoppler, who's an adolescent psychologist here in L.A., uh, talked about it. And for me, it was one of the most interesting parts of the film because you get to dive into the psychology of this music a little bit. And, you know, yes, it's as Gary said, it's not popular. As a matter of fact, some of these people are, are deep, deep outcasts and the music can bring them together. And so when you think about, as Miles Kennedy said, you know, his island of lost toys, mm. you know, his fans uh, are all these disparate people that come from all these different places and they travel and they follow the, the music because they love it. And, uh, you know, when you think about that, if this music can empower anybody and get them from be turned to be bullied and be ostracized to be part of a club that maybe is not the cool kids jock club, um, but it's a club nonetheless. And that club, I think, gives people power and their strength in numbers. And when you go to this fest these festivals, you feel that, that there's a real strength in numbers here. Um, and that cuts into the, the segment we did with, uh, um, with the song Braveheart, you know, that yep. song, um, by Tom Morello's band, Prophets of Rage is playing Strength in Numbers. And that really could be a sub, you know, a subset of this movie uh, of how people come together and feel good about this themselves, this music, meeting up with their people. Uh, and I think that's really something that I was really glad to get across in this film. Gary, the film really focuses on a select few uh, metalheads, um, fans of the music. Now, at any given moment at the festivals that you promote, there's a sea of a thousand people out there. How do you choose, how do you know which people to focus on? Are there certain fans that just show up at these events all the time and you got to know over the years and you're like, you know, one day I'm going to I'm gonna tell these, this, their story on, on film one day. Is that how you came about in choosing the people in film, especially like you know, a group like the Party Crew who go from you know, festival to festival uh, from all around the country and uh, really have created a communion within the communion? No, that's a great question. Um, you know, and, and again, if, you, if I use the line 100,000 people in Ohio, you know, we could have picked you know, 98,000 uh, different people because the, the people that were chosen to, to deep dive into the, the fandom with us were really everyday rockers. Yeah. You know, you got a soccer mom, uh, you, got, you, got a, you got a nurse by day, a trauma nurse by day and a crowd surfer by night. You got a police officer, you have a convict, you know, um, you have a dentist and his, and his dentist wife who travel via private helicopter or they're they're playing to no no not private helicopter they rent that they rent a, a a two engine single engine jet or double single engine. engine jet so you got all walks of life and the common um you know the commonality that they have together is rock and roll mm. and it doesn't matter as john Kasich says in the film governor Kasich, if you republican democrat or independent when the music hits you we're one and that's so true because everything's left at the at when you hand your ticket in to security, your political view, your how much money you make, what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you drive, whatever. Um, because if everybody's equal at these festivals, so uh, that's the long answer. The short answer is this: this these group of people started a MySpace page. Wow! Back in the day. Yeah, yeah. And, and they started coming to the shows. And in really loud, like kind of ugly shirts, um, and they would make sure these ugly, bright colored shirts for the staff. And every year, 
and they didn't want anything. You know, they weren't asking for, you know, to meet a band or they just wanted, they're just part of the community. So I'm like, and I love the fact that they didn't want anything or weren't asking for anything or looking for a backstage pass or whatever. Um, so when the time came to film, that's the people I went to because I thought they were just honest and they were there for the right reasons. They were there for the music. You know, Jonathan, the film really shows the festival experience, especially like the hard rock metal festival experience. It shows the the art of crowd surfing, the majesty of the mosh pits, the splendor of the wall of death. What do you think is about all of these elements? It's really kind of physical kind of parts of the whole festival experience. It really speaks to metal hits in particular. I mean, I was, I was thinking about the other day and I realized like some of the stuff you see at these festivals is like contact sports. Mm. You know? Like the people that love to play football or played football or soccer or rugby or boxing or wrestling, you know, these are deep contact sports in our country. They're a big part of our, our country and our, uh, you know, people love watching football and all these different sports I mentioned. And all of a sudden you have this music and the music is so intense that it gets people jacked up. And they feel like they want a contact sport. And here's your opportunity to do that. And then if the, the ringleader, the stage, the guy on stage is going, all right, split the crowd down the middle, you're going. You're in. And if you're not into it, you move to the back. Same yeah. thing with moshing. Mosh pit breaks out. You either move to the back or jump right in. And it's, you know, it's not for everybody, obviously. But it is an interesting, liberating thing um, for people. And I think that... Um, it is, it's a spectacle to behold. And we put, you know, my camera guy is a rocker, my, you know, editor camera guy. And I put a GoPro on him and I said, you ready to go in the mosh pit? He's like, hell yeah, let's go. And I held his camera and I stood at the edge and it was just like, you feel that power and that energy. Um, and, and that's where rock and roll is dangerous because you can get hurt. You know, you can fall when you're crowd surfing. Uh, you could get smacked in the head during the wall of death and get a concussion, right? But People just go for it, man. And I think that it's an outward symbol of passion, rock and roll. Even the concept of banging your head is a more aggressive form of just listening to music, but listening with a deeper passion than most. Oh, trust me, my, my neck's still feeling it to this day. <laughs> um, Gary, you know, this film has such an impressive lineup of, of guests in it. I mean, People from Lars Ulrich to Jonathan Davis, Corey Taylor, Jerry Cantrell, Rob Zombie, Zach Wilde, and so many more. I mean, so it's practically a who's who of rock royalty and rock and roll upcomers as well. What's a process like in getting um, these kind of rock stars involved in this documentary? Once you tell them about the what the documentary is about, that's about the communion and the spirit of rock and roll and the rock festivals, are they more than eager to, to jump on board and share their own stories and, and make their own, you know, give their own thank yous to the fans? Is this in a way them saying thank you to the people who give, you know, time and money to them? And um, especially, you know, during these days when there's no festival experience at all, I'm sure a lot of these um, musicians and rock stars appreciate even more what it's like to play in front of thousands of people at any, any given moment. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, look, we it wasn't too far different than curating a, a, a multi-stage, multi-band festival in a sense, because I st we started at the top, yeah, and we weren't going to shoot this film and do this unless Metallica signed on, and that's starting at the top because they're the king of kings. Um, they're their own genre. I've got so much respect for for Metallica, not only the band but their entire family and the machine that the tank that that is that is metallica headquarters 
um, they signed on and they, they said in a very, you know, loving way, you got 20 minutes with Lars. Mm-hmm. Okay. You got 20 minutes. Um, and then we took off from there. The, the second one, the second interview we booked was Chris Cornell, a sound garden. And, and that took on its own life form. But then it started flowing in that there, everybody was on board because what Lar- you're better than Lars. Hmm. Um, number one, but even more important than that is this was their chance to help wave the flag to help, you know, this is their moment to, to, to shine on a very misunderstood, but very beloved genre of, of music that we know is hard rock and metal. Let's highlight it. Let's celebrate it. Let's, let's spread it to the masses. So it was their chance to speak on behalf of that and, um, and to be a part of a film that included Lars and Duff and Tom Morello and, and these, uh, these big time rock stars. Jonathan, you know, what's really impressive to me is that, you know, I've, I've seen so many rock documentaries, especially hard rock documentaries, and you really get behind the humanity, behind a rock star. You talk about the struggles, you talk about the excesses and the consequences of those. Um, I think something that really hits home with this documentary, though, is the mortality of the rock and roll lifestyle. Um, during the process of the film, Chester Bennington, Chris Cornell, and Vinnie Paul all passed on. Since then, we've had legends pass on as well, especially in regards to um, Eddie Van Halen, who passed on the last several months. And the thing that's remarkable about it is that after these moments, the community, the fans, the artists, they all come together in gratitude, in mourning, and in in remembrance of all these people. How important was it to really show how even through the toughest of times that this community does come together, does stick together and reflects and mourns together in a very unique way as our metalheads do. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, the whole thing is, is, uh, it's an amazing amalgamation of, um, uh, you know, uh, of celebrating their lives and the chaos that ensues and, and what happens to them. And, you know, we didn't plan to ever put drugs and alcohol and, and this aspect in our movie. But as Gary said, we booked Chris Cornell as our second interview. And, you know, the morning we got there and we got the call at 6 a.m. that he was dead and that, uh, you know, Gary had to struggle to figure out how he was going to program as a headliner gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was heavy. So, my first question couldn't be the Lars and all these other rock stars, Jacoby Shaddix, like, hey, man, uh, rock and roll is great, isn't it? It had to be, talk to me about your feelings about where you're feeling that right now about Chris. And so we had that footage and we still were, you know, making another movie. We we're making a movie celebrating this rock culture and trying to stay away from the stuff that's not up-tempo, good, happy stuff, which is death and, and drugs and opioid addiction and... And then we made plans. We luckily Gary got us Duff from Guns N' Roses, who was an amazing interview. But even he talked about his almost near death experience by you know his pancreas exploding by drugs and alcohol. So you have him talking about that. Okay, well we're still probably not going to use that. And then the next thing we line up is Chester Bennington, who also dies. Mm-hmm. So now it's like okay, you really the the signpost is leading that you have to include a segment of in this film and then even the female rock star like dorothy you know we had a great interview with her at one festival 
And then Gary runs into her, you know, six months, a year later, another festival. And she's like, oh, yeah, I don't really remember that. I was drinking heavily back then, but I'm sober now. Mm. Um, and so she came back and we started talking about sobriety. And I happen to have my best friend in the world grow, I grew up with has been struggling immensely for over a decade now. And it just was uh, it was particularly bad for me at that moment because he was torturing me because he gets crazy. And, and we started talking about it. we both started crying in this interview and it was like you got to go there you know what I mean it's like you don't want to go there but it's so important and there's so much of it out there and then you know the party crew's leader G's wife tells us that she lost two brothers and her mother from between opioids and heroin like that's insane one family in Ohio so anyway, that we basically had to go there and, and, and made this part of our film. And I'm really glad we did because it touches a lot of people. Yeah. Um, it may be a buzzkill, but you know what? It's, you got you to gotta talk about the important stuff. You know, Gary, COVID has decimated a lot of different industri industries all around the world. I think one of the most impacted definitely has to be the live music scene. Um, you know, we started off talking about Gene Simmons saying, Rocky's dead. And I want to end it with Alice Cooper with a recent quote that he had. He thought where he said he totally expects a hard rock resurgence post what we're going through now with lockdown and everything. What do you see out there? What what is your feeling? You yourself are a con are a festival promoter. You're deep in that industry. What I know a lot of bands are chopping at the bit to get out there. What what do you foresee is going to happen post, say, end of 2022, maybe even your summer um, in regards to touring, in regards to concerts. Are we ready for a resurgence for hard rock? Hey, Alice Cooper just had a number one record. Mm. Number one, yeah, right? Reckless. From pretty Re Had a number one rock record. Number Pretty Reckless to Alice Cooper. Um, it's going to be the Roaring Twenties. I'm very bullish um, when the clouds part and the floodgates open. People have a real hunger and appetite for for life, you know, shoulder to shoulder and and big old mass gatherings and rock and roll parties, but it's not today and it's not next week. So back to www.longliverockmovie.com. This movie really will be it could help hopefully help ease your pain while you're waiting for those floodgates to open. This movie gets you going. And it, it shows the, the chaos and the excitement and the energy of what a great rock show, a live show is. It certainly does. So for everyone out there listening, Long Live Rock releases 12th of March. You can go to longliverockmovie.com and there you can find out tickets. Uh, you can merch. There's trailers. There's all sorts of stuff there. There's also a really cool Facebook page as well, Long Live Rock Movie. It's got a lot of details there as well. And Jonathan and Gary, just want to congratulate you both for your documentary. I think, Gary, as you touched on at the end, this is definitely the documentary we we need right now um it's part of, i think i heard you say in previous interviews it's kind of like this is part of the relief package that's it's i'm gonna go for i'm coming forth now um i think a lot of people are really chomping at the bit to watch hard rock acts i know a lot of hard rock acts really can't wait to play in front of fans again um but until that time we have this documentary and it's a great one so i thank you both very much for your time and congratulations with the movie thanks for having us matt it's really great Matt, good, good, good interview. Thank you for he really kept it flowing. And Matt's done this before. One yeah, or two, he's done he's one or two interviews in. <laughs>